Hey guys, if I don't know you, my name's Jordan. I'm one of the college pastors here. And we're gonna keep rolling in our Advent series. Now, some of you might be thinking, Jordan, Advent is over. Well, we're just gonna milk it for all it's worth, all right? Let's keep this thing going. Christmas, guys, it's fun. It's not over, all right? It is over, but not in our hearts. Okay, so Advent. Um, If you've been around this Christianity thing long enough, my guess is that somewhere along the line in in a Bible study, in a youth group, maybe at church, you've encountered some sort of like taboo topics series, or like questions for God series or something like that, right? And there's inevitably a few topics that are gonna get hit in a series like this, right? So if, you, if you're a super theologically savvy church, you're gonna get predestination. And, and some of you don't know what that is and it's totally fine, just don't worry about it. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, is he gonna, no, I'm not gonna talk about it. Um, you're gonna get predestination. You're gonna get a sex talk thrown in there probably. You're gonna get a Jesus is the only way talk. And then a lot of the time, and, and look, I'm not hating on series like that. We've done stuff like that before. But a lot of the time, there's gonna be a fourth topic that'll get thrown in there. And the topic will be the Holy Spirit. And honestly, I think it's a little bit unfortunate. I understand why the Holy Spirit gets thrown into kind of the taboo or controversial topics because there's a lot of debate about the Holy Spirit's role in modern Christianity. But I think it's unfortunate to categorize him in a sort of debate because the reality is, is the Holy Spirit is the God of the universe, reality, that the source and essence of reality living in you, God himself, and, and God is, is not a concept to be debated. He's a person to be known, loved, and trusted. And so today we'll be talking about the Spirit, but I think in general, it's easy in this conversation to miss the forest for the trees a little bit and get too caught up in uh, some different theological perspectives on the Spirit and miss the holistic perspective of the Bible on this, this grand narrative of scripture about the presence of God. How will the presence of God be with his people? And so this is what I wanna do this morning is I wanna step back from like the debate and I wanna step into the story and I wanna tell you the story of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and right off the bat, I want you to notice that the Holy Spirit is a he, not an it, and sometimes that can get confusing because of the, the article the, right? But think of it similarly to, we've, we refer to Jesus as the Lord, but we don't refer to him as an it. The same way with the spirit, he is a he. And I think that's actually incredibly important. It shapes the way that we think about him. He's not an abstract force that we can get to do cool tricks for us. He's God himself, a personality to be known, loved, and enjoyed. And so that's the kind of the, the way I wanna get at this this morning. I wanna tell you a little bit of his story. And so I wanna do a flyover first of the, the narrative of the presence of God with his people that begins where most major storylines of the Bible begins in the first couple chapters of Genesis. But real quick before I get into that, some of you might be anxious to get to more of the practical applications. If, you, if you've been around Christianity for a while, you might be thinking, get to the fruits of the Spirit or, or get to the supernatural works of, of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit. Um, get to the sort of quote-unquote applicable things. <clears throat> and even if, if you don't feel that today, I think in general, when we talk about the, the Old Testament or the big picture story of God, it can be easy to think, I don't know how this applies to me. And so it can be easy to check out especially when you're reading personally, or we'll start teaching on Genesis uh, coming up in a couple weeks here, and it can be easy to not know how that applies to you. 
And I actually made the mistake of telling one of my theology professors, uh, who I really respect, his name's Alex Tuckness, and I made the mistake one time of telling him that I wasn't enjoying reading the Old Testament because I didn't know how it applied to me. And Alex didn't really answer my question. He just launches into the story and he's like, Jordan, every year at Christmas, when we go to my wife's family's house, we go through old photos of Anastasia, that's his wife's name, Anastasia, when she was growing up. We start when she was a baby and we work all the way through her life and we kind of tell stories and go through those photos. And so the first Christmas that we did this, about five minutes in, I stopped everyone and said, hey, I'm not in any of this. Can we get to the good part? Can we just skip to the part where I'm in? Okay, now Alex didn't actually do that, all right? It's an illustration. But here was his point, is you study the story of someone because it helps you know and love that person, right? It's not all about jumping to, to actually get to the point where uh, you come in is actually a a self-centered thing. And so we have, we look at the story of God because we wanna know and love God, But I actually think you'll also find that it applies to your life. Once you understand his story, you'll figure out what that means for your story. So let's look at this theme of the presence of God with his people. So let's start in the garden. So a lot of you know that story, that human beings were made to be in the presence of God. And we walked around his newly created earth with him and we were experiencing creation with him. But then really quickly, a couple chapters into the Bible, everything goes wrong. And we talk a lot about how sin was wrong, but I don't know if we talk enough about the results of that sin, of what it caused in our relationship with God. Let me read to you Genesis 3, verse 8. You don't gotta flip there, I'll just, I'll read this for you. Genesis 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I think this is one of the most sad texts in the entire Bible. Because what you have is human beings who were made to be whole in the presence of God. And what are they doing here? God is walking around in the garden looking for them. And instead of running to him, they run away from him in shame. Because something in their sin, something in their waywardness, fundamentally changed their ability to be in the presence of God. He's too pure, he's too good, he's too raw and holy for them to be in his presence. And so instead of running to him, they run away from him. And they actually end up being removed from the garden, kicked out of the presence of God. And so here's what that means for all of us, not just for them, is that we no longer walk with God in the cool of the day. Do you realize if Adam and Eve wouldn't have sinned, if no one ever would have sinned since that point, you and I would have been walking around paradise with God and he would have been pointing out aspects of his creation and going, how amazing is that apple that I made? Let me tell you how I made it. This is how I created it. And we would have been enjoying creation with him, but we no longer walk around in his presence. We lost God. We lost our friend. And in the process, we lost a major piece of humanity. That's who we were, and we don't know how to be that anymore. Do you guys ever, Drew actually actually mentioned this, and I related to it. Do you ever start to feel a little bit down at this time of the year? Maybe not all of you, but I think you guys can relate to this. If you're not feeling it now, you've probably felt it before. I've been feeling it this year. And I don't know exactly what it is, but there's, you get through Christmas, And I still want Christmas to be sort of magic. You know, like I'm a grown adult and 
I, I probably shouldn't expect that, but I do. I just, I want it to be like what it was when I was a kid again. And, and look, I had a nice Christmas. I love my family. It was great. Everything's fine. But it's not sort of this magic on earth that I want it to be. And, and I get through Christmas, or even when I was a kid, you, you get your presence and it's amazing for like two days. And then you realize your life is not fundamentally different. And, and now I start looking forward. We've got a lot of winter coming up. And, and I, I just, I get down. Because I want this place to be better than it is. I essentially want this place to be heaven on earth. And it's not. And if you're feeling that way, or if you have ever felt that way, here's what I want to say. Of course you feel that way. You were meant to walk around with God in the cool of the day. You were meant to be a ruler in his name and to establish his presence in the earth. Meaning was supposed to be the reality of your entire life. Your entire life was supposed to be infused with meaning. Joy should have been your baseline experience of the world. Because you were supposed to be in God and God was supposed to be in you and the presence of God and joy are the same thing. I want you to think about your wedding day. So if you're married, you can think back to that day. If you're not married, just imagine if, if you are to be married someday, I want you to, to picture that in your mind. Now I want you to, to picture that you're standing there on your wedding day and you get stood up. And you're thinking, wow, this is getting very real. Yep, okay, we're going there. All right, so, so you get stood up on your wedding day. And so for, for some reason, I don't know why, but for some reason, you just keep going with the day. Okay, so you're standing there at the edge of the aisle, but there's no bride that walks down the aisle or you walk down the aisle and there's no groom waiting for you. And you go through the ceremony alone and then you go to your reception and people are, are partying and there's great food and there's dancing and there's music, but you're sitting there alone and there's toast to you, right? And you're alone. And then imagine your knuckleheaded friend comes up to you and says, man, you seem sad. Why aren't you happy? It's a party. There's dancing, there's music, there's food. Why aren't you having fun? What are you going to say? Because my bride's not here. My groom's not here. I only care about the other stuff if I get to do it with that person. That's what it's like to live as a human being in this world. This world is amazing. There's beauty here. There's fun things to do. There's, there's incredible experiences to have. But, but more often than not, when you have those experiences, they ring hollow because you weren't meant to just do those things. You were meant to do them with God. The point was to walk through his creation with him, not to just have some cool experiences in life. And so more often than not, they remind you of everything that you're missing instead of satisfying your soul. That's what it's like to be a human being. And so one of the great questions of scripture and the great question of your life is how will human beings, how will we get back into the presence of God? How do we get back to God? How do we get him back? And all throughout the Bible, there's little tastes of God's presence, right? So 
When you, when you start reading through scripture, there's this period in Israelite history where God is present with his people in what's called a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Picture like a tornado that's going from the clouds down to the earth and it's on fire. Okay, that type of thing. And, and here's what would happen is when this pillar of fire would set out, the people of Israel would follow it wherever it went and whenever it stopped, they would stop. And here's what it communicated is we only go where God goes. It was a a physical demonstration of his presence and they were saying, we want to be with him, that's what we care about. Or Moses, Moses goes up onto the mountain to encounter God and he talks with God almost like a friend and and when he experiences that presence of God, the glory of God, he comes back down off the mountain and his face is literally shining because he's been in the presence of God. And the Israelites can't even handle that shining on Moses' face and so he's got to, cover it up. It's a little taste of his presence. Drew talked about the, the tabernacle a couple weeks ago. It's, it's, it's this place where God is. If you were here, you remember the Michael Jordan illustration of like what it's like to be in the same place as Michael Jordan. That's what the Israelites felt like with God, of, of like God's in there. And, and all of that was leading up to the physical temple being built. And there's this incredible story in Chronicles of Solomon dedicating this new temple that he built, this this place for God to come down and live with his people. And there's this unbelievable ceremony that, that they have. So all of Israel comes, right? So imagine that all of the Twin Cities metro area, that if everybody got together in front of the St. Paul Cathedral, and we're all standing there and there's a giant celebration and there's, there's a band there that was playing, these, these priests that were playing trumpets and there was this elevated platform right in front of the temple. And King Solomon in all of his splendor with his, his robes and all this gets up on this elevated platform and he, he bows down before the temple and I got to imagine that all of Israel would have bowed with him and he elevates his hands like this and he looks up to heaven and he essentially asks God to come and be with his people, to bring his presence from heaven to earth, to have heaven meet earth. And so here is his prayer, or actually this is just after his prayer, the results of his prayer, Second Chronicles 7 verse one says this, As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Can you imagine that? Everybody's there watching and Solomon asks, God, would you come be with us? And then God drops down in fire and he consumes the sacrifice and this sort of physical uh, yet mysterious presence of God lands on the temple And you got to imagine that they're thinking, finally, finally we're back to the garden. Finally God will be with us again. Finally everything will be okay and life will be what it's supposed to be. And we'll walk through this new garden, the promised land, with God himself. And we will be God's people and he will be our God and everything will be right in the world. But then immediately after this, listen to this verse 2. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. The priests could not enter. The holiest people in all of Israel still were not holy enough to be with a holy God. The second that God came down, they realized that they still weren't good enough to access his presence. And they still weren't going to have everything that they had been dreaming of. It's a little taste of his presence, but it's not the real thing. 
and we talk about feeling down sometimes, imagine how they felt. They were supposed to be the people of God. They were supposed to demonstrate his presence to the world. They were the ones that were supposed to have the meaning of life figured out. But instead of this being the high moment in Israelite history, everything goes down from here until the close of the Old Testament where everyone is hopeless, the vast majority of the people have abandoned God, and the people that haven't abandoned God think that God has abandoned them. Until John 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word, Jesus Christ himself, God himself, came down to be among us. That's Emmanuel, God with us. That's what we've been celebrating in this season. And here's what this means, is that people are back walking with God through a garden again. Jesus used to go to the same garden with his disciples to pray. And God himself was calling a human being his friend, and they were calling him a friend. It's what they had been hoping for, God himself with us. And this is the story of Christianity. It's through all of the barriers, through all of the sin, through all of the inadequacies, through our own inability, God breaks through every barrier to come get us because he wants relationship with us. And he'll do anything to satisfy the needs of God, the justice of God to have relationship with us. That's what's happening on the cross. That's what's happening in the resurrection is God coming to get us to have relationship with us, but this wild thing that Jesus himself said is even that, even God in flesh is not the fullest picture of Emmanuel. There's something even better coming for us as people who trust in Jesus. John 16, verse seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Catch that. Jesus just said, after all of that, after all of that waiting for the the promised Messiah, God with us, a few chapters later, a few years later in history, Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's saying, guys, it's better that I leave than I stay, than if I stay. Why? Because there's something even better than Jesus walking around with us coming. It says, if Jesus does not leave, then the helper will not come. The helper is the Holy Spirit. So the only thing better than God beside you is God in you. That's what Jesus is saying. And that's the Holy Spirit is God himself in you, which means that God just one-upped Eden. We've been wanting to get back to the garden where we could walk with God in the cool of the day, but God says, I've got one better for you. I want to walk inside of you in the cool of the day. I want to live in you. I want to make you forget the temple stuff. You are my new temple. That's what Ephesians 2 says, is that he's made us into a living temple in the Lord where we are now the holiest place on earth that God lives in us. Now, I want to, I want to think about how incredible that is, and we'll unpack some of the implications in a second. 
But before we unpack those implications, we've got to feel the tension that is inherent in that statement. Let me ask you, honestly, if you actually had the choice to continue living with life with the Holy Spirit as a Christian, or you could have Jesus walking around on earth next to you, what are you choosing? Like Jesus lives in your house. You get sick, he's healing you. There's, you get to watch miracles happen every day. You're walking around, Jesus is walking next to you, he's whispering in your ear. When you're about to sin, he's like, no, don't do that, it's not gonna be good. And he's coaching you up on life. What are you choosing? If I'm honest, I'm taking Jesus next to me as opposed to the Holy Spirit in me. But that's not actually what Jesus taught. So there's a contradiction there between what Jesus said is good and what, well, and of course, Jesus next to us is good. Okay, like, let's acknowledge that. So let me rephrase that. There's a contradiction between what Jesus said is best and what we tend to think is best. And there's only two options in that contradiction. Either Jesus was lying or we vastly miss the implications and the power of having the Holy Spirit of God in us. Either he was lying or we're missing it. I'm gonna take option two. I'm not gonna stand on the stage and call Jesus a liar. I think option two is more likely. And so here's what that means is that we need to grow in our awareness and dependence on the presence of God in us. There's a lot more than what most of us are experiencing to have God living in us. And we need to make that more of a focal point of our lives. Now, what we'll talk about what that looks like is is the Holy Spirit actually pointing a giant arrow to Jesus. And so it is making Jesus the focal point of your life. But we need to recognize how much more is offered to us by Christ in the Holy Spirit. So that's where I wanna land is in John 14. John 14 is about a few different things, but it's primarily Jesus teaching us about the helper that's to come, the Holy Spirit. And so there's, there's two things I wanna point out in this, that the Holy Spirit reminds you to follow Jesus and the Holy Spirit teaches you how to rest in Jesus. So first off, he reminds you how to follow Jesus. John 14, 25 through 26. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay, so this says that the Holy Spirit is our helper. Wild. That, that God, he, he does ask us to, to serve him, but he primarily identifies as a servant of us, a helper to us, which is, absolutely crazy in and of himself, but I want to focus in on this. What is it primarily, not exclusively, but primarily that the Holy Spirit helps us to do? Well, verse 15 in this text, it gives us the context for the rest of Jesus' teaching. Verse 15 says this, if you love me, you will keep my commands. So here's what the Holy Spirit primarily helps us to do, is he helps us to follow the commands of Jesus. He, he said that the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance, brings to mind all the things that Jesus taught. And so the Holy Spirit 
reminds you of what's good in life, of what Jesus taught, and then he helps you to actually live that way, which, by the way, is way better news than most of us hear that as. I think that in modern Western Christianity, we have not, not overemphasized Jesus as Savior. He, of course, is, and we should fully emphasize that, but we have underemphasized Jesus as teacher. So here's what I mean by that, is Jesus knew the best way to live. And in scripture, he lays out the good life for you, what it means to be fully human, what it means to have the good life in Christ, a really hard life, but a good life in Christ. And so one of the the best parts about salvation is that you now have the power to live differently, to actually obey Jesus, yes, imperfectly, but you have the ability to grow into the likeness of Christ, which is incredible news. And so this is what the Holy Spirit does, is he gives us personalized power to live like Jesus. Gives us personalized power to live like Jesus. So personalized, he takes the teachings of Jesus and he lands them specifically in your soul. So think about having a teacher and a tutor. Right, so you've got the teacher who gives broad concepts and categories, who teaches you about life. But then from there, if you can have a tutor, that's even better to add that to the teaching where that tutor can take those specific concepts and, and can ask you, what are the things that you don't understand and can unpack them more and explain them. And the tutor can help you apply them specifically to your context. So Jesus teaches us and we have his teaching in scripture And then the Holy Spirit is our tutor. He takes the teachings of Jesus and he applies them specifically to your life. And so he gives you personalized, that's the personalization, and then he gives you the power to actually live those teachings out. But I think the reason why sometimes we miss our ability to live out the teachings of Jesus, sometimes it's just blind disobedience, it's just we don't wanna do it, But I think often it's busyness. Here's what I mean. Do you ever create space in your life to listen to the voice of God? Now, to clarify, God primarily speaks to us through his scripture. And so scripture is inevitably going to be involved and God does not contradict what he's told us in scripture. But do you create space in your life to simply ask God, God, what do you want from me? or to bring before him the problems in your life, but then to just be quiet and listen? Do you get away from all distractions to sit in, enjoy, and learn from his presence? I think that's really hard for us. And I think in the process, we're missing the still quiet voice of God that comes to us through his spirit. So so for me, an example of this, where I'm trying to apply this is, Every year we do interviews for Salt Company, our college ministry here. So we do interviews for student leadership. We do interviews for overseas applications. They're really fun conversations. They're often really hard conversations. And they're really important conversations for us that we really try to value. Because they're important decisions about people's lives, but they're also, we're trying to help people in that hour as much as we possibly can. And so I feel the weight of that. And so what I try to do is have two conversations happening at once. So I'm having the conversation with the person, but in my mind, I'm trying to ask the Spirit, hey, Holy Spirit, how do I love this person, right? Jesus said that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. Help me to apply that teaching right now. 
So what's the question that I should ask next? Or, or that person talks about that hurt from their life and I don't know how to help them with that. I don't know how to encourage them. Would you bring scripture to mind? Would you, would you give me what, what I should say next? Would you help me know how to love this person? What is this person hiding and how can, I, how can I dig into that a little bit more? How can I love them? I'm trying to have that conversation going. Now, I'm that dependent on the Holy Spirit all the time and it's unfortunate that I only realize that in circum, certain situations and so I'm trying to make that the regular rhythm of my life instead of just particular times. But I think that's one way that we can listen to the voice of God. That's how his power can be unleashed in us. Now, by the way, as a caveat, there absolutely is supernatural power given to us by the Spirit. So there are supernatural gifts talked about in Scripture, things like, Prophecy or healing or speaking in tongues, which you don't know that, what that is. We don't have time to unpack it right now. It's okay. You can talk about that in, in your connection group or come talk to us afterwards, whatever. We'd love to help you. But there are these supernatural gifts and we have no reason in scripture to believe that those gifts have stopped. The, the primary reason why we would be tempted to believe that is because we tend to be very naturalistic people and live in a very naturalistic culture. Now, we believe those to be absolutely true. They also come into submission to this community and to the authority of scripture. And again, God will never contradict himself. So you will never experience anything from God personally that can't be confirmed in his word or that contradicts his word. And those things might not look exactly the way that you've thought about them in the past, but those gifts absolutely do exist. I wanted to say that. But the, the primary thing that you need is the quote-unquote ordinary acts of obedience from the Spirit. Everything in our world and most of the things in you are telling you that the teachings of Jesus are dumb. And you need a voice in your mind that is telling you that Jesus was actually a pretty smart guy, that he knew how to live, and that we should listen to him. And, and when we start to listen to that voice, that's actually not that ordinary, that's extraordinary, that a human being would start to listen to the voice of God again. The second thing that Jesus, or that the Holy Spirit can do in us, is he teaches you how to rest in Jesus. Okay, now by that, I don't mean like take a nap and get some sleep, although do that, that's great. God, God loves that in general. Um, but what I mean by that is living at peace. And, and our English word for peace doesn't do that word justice. It's, it's the word shalom, which, which means sort of everything being right in the world. It, it's not just the absence of war, but it's the, the presence of goodness, the active goodness of God in your life. And, and one of those things that the Holy Spirit does is he brings that shalom into our life. John 14, 26 through 27. We, we just read this, but, but the Holy Spirit, or excuse me, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. But then look at verse 27. There's a reason why it immediately follows the two thoughts are connected, peace or shalom, I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Now notice he didn't say that peace is coming. That if you just make it through this life, you'll get to the future eternal life of peace. He says, you have access to peace right now, currently in your life. That's because peace is not just a state of mind. Peace is a person. 
Jesus is the Prince of Peace and he can live in you by his spirit and people that have the Holy Spirit of Jesus learns what it, learn what it means to be at rest, to be at peace in him. He goes on to say, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So I watched Home Alone last week, which obviously, um, and there's that scene when, when the bad guys come into his house and he goes in the first time and he goes and he hides under the bed and he's super freaked out, right? And then he, he has this moment where he realizes that he's the man of the house now and he suddenly is brave. Don't get that. But he, he walks outside and he yells, I'm not afraid anymore. Did you hear me? I'm not afraid anymore, which he really should have been afraid like the whole premise, an eight-year-old cannot fight off two bad guys. Like I love it. It's great. It's fun watching, but it's just, it's not realistic. He had every reason to be afraid. Okay. If, if we don't have Christ, if we don't have the Holy Spirit of God living in us, we have every reason to be afraid. If you feel meaningless in your life, meaninglessness in your life, and you don't have Christ, that's because you've missed the meaning of your life. I know that's frank, let's just be frank. We have every reason to not expect a future hope in Christ. We should be afraid of the circumstances that come at us. But alternatively, if we have God in us by his spirit, there is absolutely nothing to be afraid of anymore because the preexistent God of the universe lives inside of you, loves you, and is protecting you. So hear me on this. You don't have to be afraid. You can be at peace as a demonstration of what God is like. Seriously, what are you afraid of? What are you anxious about? What are you stressed about? What are the things that you tend to run to fear instead of faith? You don't have to be. God himself lives in you. So by the Holy Spirit in me, the Holy Spirit in you, if you are in Christ. I rebuke fear in your life. You can walk out of here at peace in him and you can demonstrate his peace to the world through the way that you live. I love this quote about the Holy Spirit. It says, the spirit is nothing less than the life breath of the exalted Jesus who makes the victory of Jesus available for the people of God in history. So the beginning of that quote maybe is a little fuzzy. It, it kind of makes it sound like the Spirit and Jesus are the same thing. They're, they're distinct personalities who are unified in the Trinity. But I love the second half of that quote. Makes the victory of Jesus available for the people of God in history. You are the living, breathing, walking demonstration that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He achieved victory in his resurrection and now in you, he lives his resurrected life out to the world. Now, you might not feel like that's true. So a couple steps to take. One, just believe. Trust what Jesus has said over what you feel. The second step, come back to the presence of God. Live in his presence and remember how to experience that victory. So I wanna, I wanna propose to you guys, to close out here, I wanna propose to you something besides resolutions this year. Similar but different. I wanna propose to you habits or rhythms in your life. I wanna ask you to consider this year 
putting in two rhythms in your life, one week, or excuse me, one daily rhythm and one weekly rhythm with the sole purpose of remembering the presence of God or getting into the presence of God and experiencing it. So for your daily rhythm, that might be old school, get up in the morning, read your Bible every day. That's great, do that. It might be a bedtime for your phone. Put your, put your phone to bed at 8, 8.30 and, and just be present for the rest of the night and get some of that time in the presence of Jesus and then get up before your phone does. Spend time with him before you look at your phone or the, the weekly rhythm, right? It might be lunch once a week with a friend to talk about life in Jesus. It might be a, a time in your calendar slotted to, to, to love someone, to, to express the love of Jesus and then to remember his presence through expressing that. It might be taking a rest day as often, as a weekly rhythm as often as you can. Something similar to a Sabbath, that's, that's mine. Is I, I wanna take that day this year as often as I can to essentially do two things, to rest and to enjoy the presence of God, to spend time with him and be transformed by the fact that I get to live life with God. So I'd ask you guys to consider that this year, to consider establishing those rhythms. And so your goal in those rhythms, they're not in ends, but a means to the ends of realizing and enjoying the presence of God. So usually I would pray right now, but I'd actually, I'd love to ask you guys to, to take a second to pray. So if you would, if you just close your eyes and I'd love it in a second, if you would just, let's just acknowledge that God is here with us by his spirit. And I just want you in your mind to do something simple. Just say to God, God, your servant is here, I'm listening. And just ask him to speak to you. Now, don't set your expectations too high. Okay, I'm not expecting like some audible voice from heaven necessarily. Even if you don't necessarily quote unquote hear anything, just sit and enjoy the fact that God is with you. If he brings a scripture to mind, think about that. If he brings something up in your life, just repent of that or, or ask him what he wants you to think about there. But God is with us. Just take a second and be with him. for your love. I'm thankful for the fact that you haven't left me or left us. When I come into your presence like, like Isaiah did when he encountered you in your throne room, I realize all the ways that I've fallen short and that I don't deserve to be here with you. But we take hope in the fact that it's not about us deserving to be with you. It's about Jesus deserving to be there and him inviting us in. Jesus, thank you for coming to get us. Thank you for Emmanuel, God with us. And thank you for giving us the ultimate gift of your presence 
the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the helper. Help us to be people who know how to experience your presence, know how to take advantage of this good gift that you've given us, that you live inside of us and empower us to live the right way. We want to be people who believe you when you say radical things. Like it's better that you would leave so that we could have the help or the counselor help us to take advantage of that, to live in your presence and to learn new rhythms, to be able to, to bring ourselves into your presence and experience it again and again and again this year. Yeah, we love you. We're thankful to be here with you.